Welcome to the Ready Eddy Podcast, where we tell the story of startups in the outdoor sport industry through the voice of their founders. What's going on, guys? Before we get into today's podcast episode, I wanted to give you a quick update on the Ready Eddy membership program. To this point, we've grown to have thousands of products from up-and-coming startups and small businesses in the outdoor travel and lifestyle space on the platform. You can save up to 50% off all of these products, anything from skis to jackets to food bars to supplements. Anything you could think of to support your outdoor activities is on the platform from small up-and-coming brands. It's a great opportunity to support small businesses while also discovering brands that you've never heard of. You can show off the new gear to your friends and also save a ton while doing it. If you're interested in checking it out, head over to readyeddy.com slash members to get your first month free. This podcast episode is brought to you by 14th Star Brewing Co. 14th Star is a veteran-owned Vermont craft brewery on a mission to brew world-class beer while enriching their community. We are partnering with 14th Star while we spend February and March in Vermont highlighting local makers. Not only does 14th Star make great beer, like their maple oatmeal stout, yes I said maple, but they also have a very strong mission to give back to their community and support fellow veterans. 14th Star believes that every person and business has an obligation to give back to try and make the world a better place. If you're in the Northeast, definitely keep an eye out for 14th Star Brewing Co. What is going on, Ready Eddie Podcast listeners? Josh Salvo here, your host. On today's episode, I am sitting down with the founder of Renowned Skis, Cyrus Shank. Cyrus, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me. Of course, man. It's like to be here. Awesome. All right. So right off the bat, for the listener that has not heard of Renowned Skis before, how would you best describe uh, your brand to them? Sure. Yeah. So Renown is a high-end, high-tech ski company with a very unique technology inside that allows the ski to feel stiffer as you uh, increase your speed. So essentially, an adaptable ski. All right. So obviously, this is a pretty unique feature uh, in the skiing world, right? And um, obviously, one of the reasons why you started Renown Skis. How did you? Um, develop this technology hdt and how did you decide to then incorporate it into skiing that's a good question um we just a bunch of nerd engineers at clarkson university in upstate new york and uh i was taking this class called material science and we basically are saying that the building blocks of the modern world so concrete glass wood uh etc and they essentially follow all these rules um, that are laid out by this guy named Mr. Isaac Newton, uh, who you guys probably know. Um, and at the end, of, yeah, he's, he's in a textbook or two. And uh, at the end of the class, the professor kind of threw up some stuff on the board and was like, guys, this is uh, something that's called a non-Newtonian material. Um, and looking at the data, the numbers on the board, uh, just didn't make any sense. Like everything we just learned was kind of thrown out the window. Um, and the professor was like, this is essentially oobleck, you know, cornstarch and water. And I had actually played with cornstarch and water. It's just like a goopy substance when I was like, when I was a kid and it kind of just clicked. Um, you know, this is stuff that if you put it in a um, container, you pick it up, you can actually like, pick it up with your hands. Um, and if you squeeze it, it'll stay in your hands. It's kind of like a ball. But if you let it, if you stop, it'll basically turn into liquid and just like drip through your hands. And uh, so it kind of brought together like that 
analogy that I remember like seeing in like sixth grade to the numbers that I was seeing on the board in college. And being a skier, I immediately thought of skiing. Like, why couldn't you just stick this inside a pair of skis? And um, the the idea was born. Uh, we end up chasing down some suppliers because uh, the reality is this is like it's a non-Newtonian substance, and your blood's non-Newtonian. You know, sand and water's non-Newtonian. Corn starch and water's non-Newtonian. So it's not unique in the sense that it doesn't exist out there. Like it exists um, in a, in a manufacturable sense is very, very unique. Um, so we had to find some suppliers who were building this stuff because it was first developed for military purposes to essentially um, help slow down or, and or stop bullets. Um, so we finally got in touch with a few suppliers, um, tested this out in skis and essentially one ISPO without having a website um, or skis in, on hand because of the data that came out of there was just so insane. Um, after our first test, it, it, we basically saw an increase in dampness, which is what you, as like a, as a skier, you feel that as stability as comfort um, or as stiffness. Uh, we saw an increase in dampness by over 300% when you start going faster. So um, yeah, essentially it was, it was sixth grade science class mixed with a junior material science class mixed with some luck. and. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of dirty hands. Why do you think no one's done this before you? Because <laughs> I know exactly why. Two well, two reasons. One, we were told multiple times it couldn't be done. Uh, putting it in a hard good product like this uh, is was pretty hard to do. We were basically naive enough to not know that, uh, and we just tried to butt all these iterations until we figured it out. Um, so, and the second is cost is that it's an exp- it's not cheap. And uh, we had to actually develop a new business model, which at the time seemed a big deal because it was almost 10 years ago now, but you know, it's direct to consumer. Um, and it is the only reason why we're able to, to stay competitive because if we sold through shops, we'd have to be even more expensive than we are now. And expensive because producing the material is, is such an extra cost to develop to building a pair of skis. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we like every time you build a pair of skis, there's more an R and D that goes into it um, because we have essentially this um, this like magic material that that um, we have to also incorporate. And any basic ski design has never kind of seen this before, so you have to adapt, like you know, through the R and D process um, based on how this material is going to react for that specific ski. So there's higher R and D costs. There's obviously higher, much higher material costs um associated with it and then there's also the manufacturing costs that are higher because the stuff just takes longer um to put inside the skis so how long did it take you to develop this so that you could use it in a pair of skis yeah we went through like we say like three three years um the reality is we spent like a year and a half of that trying to figure out how to build a damn ski um in the first place so yeah it took us like a year and a half of just like trial and error we we tried a bunch of different variations and you know the skis just fall apart you know, or they were like not torsionally stiff at all, or the core was just so unwieldy that we could make it in the prototyping lab. But we knew that as soon as we brought it into like a manufacturing standpoint and try to replicate it, you know, a hundred times over, it was never going to work. So we went through a bunch of different iterations before we even had a ski that was a good, like skied well and B was replicatable. So clearly this took you three years between the learning how to build a traditional pair of skis and then mixing this uh, technology. How did you fund this? What did you do to really um, allow you to be able to spend this much time going through the R&D process? 
Yeah, I was pretty fortunate in that um, <laughs> I had uh, some some folks that well, my parents were all entrepreneurs, and um, I never really wanted to um, bag groceries and stuff when I was a kid. So I started rototilling gardens when I was pretty young, and I got sick of that. So I started washing windows when I was like sixteen, and the window washing business ended up essentially funding renown, which I thought was pretty ironic. Um, just because I never thought that windows would have turned into a skis kind of thing. But yeah, I just washed windows for essentially, you know, six, seven years before it got to the point where I could do renown, um, you know, full time. So basically when you started the process of renown, you, you hit the ground running, you didn't have to worry about having a side job or a full-time job and then working on this at night, you could devote really a hundred percent of your time to the business. Oh no, no, totally opposite. We, I spent six years double dipping. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. It was, it was, I'm not sure I can swear on this podcast, but it's fucking hard, dude. Yeah. You can say whatever you want. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it was, I mean, honestly, last year was the first year I did not pick up a squeegee, which sounds crazy. Um, but it's true. Like the year before that I had to work for a couple months, uh, the year before that I'd work for more and, and essentially, um, you know, it's all self-sustaining now, but window washing was not only the initial capital, but also the crutch that without that would never, right now would not exist period. That's so interesting. Uh, it, when you started window washing, did you have any idea that it would at least fund <laughs> your first business? <laughs> no. At the time, I was just trying to not bag groceries. That was it. Oh, so, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and now it's it's funny because it actually it, window washing still so I still run it. Um, I don't work in it anymore, but um, yeah, we've got a, a team of like four or five uh, guys out there and gals actually. Um, so it's it's still it's still is going. That's crazy. So you have time for both. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, fortunately, I don't have to do very much. All I do is just. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, I just manage it, which is is pretty straightforward these days. That's good. It's kind of a turnkey like business. Okay, so you develop this. You spend three three years sort of honing in um, HDT. You you file a patent, right? <clears throat> you win as you win as ISPO. What what happened next? What was the next stage for renown? Yeah, I think I mean, winning ISPO was essentially our like the, the spark that started um, the engine running. We'd been building skis, we'd been trying to figure this stuff out. Um, but, you know, building stuff and selling stuff are very different businesses. Um, and so that just kind of kicked things off in the, in the marketing side of things. Um, and, you know, it got us in a bunch of publications. We landed you know, the New York Times, we landed Hemispheres Magazine, which is United Airlines in-flight magazine, which is essentially like winning the lottery. Um, and then we got a bunch of spreads in like entrepreneur magazine and, um, a bunch of other publications, ironically, not a single, um, ski magazine. Um, in fact, I, I believe the only ski magazine to write about us without us paying them, uh, is, uh, the ski journal. So for all you folks out there, the ski journal is um, <clears throat> one of the few last legit magazines. Um, every, every other, article you've seen in a ski magazine is because we've uh in, in some way or another paid for it so sorry to douse some some uh, hopes for folks out there but that is the reality of of anything you see in a ski magazine these days well that's so so true that's why any anytime someone says like oh but it's best ski of the year i'm like yeah it's because that brand paid for it <laughs> yeah, yeah and uh, i mean this is obviously part of like behind the curtain stuff but you know we won powder magazines uh you know skier's choice 
Um, there's, I think, 20 awards they hand out and then 17 brands show up. So you do the math. <laughs> yeah. So, so true. Okay. So, um, the publications, do you, are, were they sort of what catapulted the, uh, the growth of Renown over time or was it more so the technology speaking as Excel, it, speaking for itself and word of mouth really helping to grow sales over time? Yeah, publications never hurt. I mean, you know, getting New York Times or Hemispheres or, you know, or even uh, powder magazines, um, Skier's Choice, I, that absolutely, it does, it does not hurt. Um, but what we found uh, is our referral rate is just through the roof. And essentially, we turned everything off and just called every single customer and said, thank you for buying a pair of skis. Um, you know, if any questions, let us know, which is essentially what we do. Then they will tell a friend or two. and. Um, it sells in our ski. It just is we double every year just because of that. So, well, I mean, it goes to show how, how valuable customer service is. You know, if you treat yeah. your customers well, they're going to, and you have a great product, those two are really the, the essentials to, to growth, right? Like, no matter yeah. what sort of fancy marketing campaign you run. 100%. And it's, uh, it, it is really, really, it's, it's super fun that way to, um, yeah, basically, we're in a position because we're a direct consumer brand that we actually know our customers. We know who they are, where they live, which could be creepy, but it's also kind of handy for them because if they have any issues, we can you know swap out a pair of skis, give them a, a return, giving them a um, uh, a warranty thing, and all they do if the ski shows up at their front door, they swap out bindings, they ship the old ski back the next day. It's super super easy. Um, whereas in the past, you know, if you don't like your ski, you know, you like if you buy Razi or any ski, not even Razi, you buy any ski. Um, and you don't like it, the only option you have is to basically like sell it on eBay. Uh, but for us, we have a hundred percent money back guarantee. So if you, if you like get the ski, mount the ski and you ski it and you don't like it, you just give it back to us. We'll give you a full refund. Um, and then basically that whole thing is that we, we don't have bad reviews out there because anybody who bought our skis and did not like them, the worst thing they'll say is, Oh, the ski's just not for me. So, which is true, you know, like skis are like jeans, you know, there's a million cons out there and some fit some people and some don't. And like, we have this, we have this technology, but it's, it's not a trump card. We still have to try, you know, we still, our skis are only for certain people as is. So with something like that, that if, if, it, if someone buys a pair of skis and it's not their kind of ski, they give it back to us and no harm, no foul. And we give it to one of our athletes and they're stoked. Right. So who would you say is like, like a renowned ski perfect for? Uh, it's a, it's a much, it's a pretty loaded question. Um, it's, it's, it gets super, super personal. Um, I've heard there's so many different ways that people will describe themselves or I would describe a customer. Um, so yeah, it totally it comes depends. A lot down to the preference you, you think then more so like the actual like construction of it. Like, I guess more so what I'm thinking of is like a, like a traditional sort of like way of building skis where it's just like, okay, these skis are stiff. So like if you're super light and you're not as aggressive, you're not going to like them. Mm. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Or something yeah, like I think, that. I think it's, it's, yeah. I mean, we, the reality is like the average skier skis 2.3 days a year. Right. Um, we don't build skis for those folks. Like that's what a demo, that's what a, um, a, a rental ski is kind of built for. Um, which is, you know, which is obviously a very different market. Um, but yeah, it's pretty hard because, you know, like we build skis for guys who like obviously initially were more tech oriented, you know, more engineering minding minded, <clears throat> but now that's kind of broadening out because it's like they're friends of friends of friends that are starting to buy now and who may just be a, you know, a lawyer, a doctor in New York city or, or New Jersey or something like that. So it, it, it totally depends. We've got guys who ski a hundred days a year and they go heli skiing twice a year. And then we've got guys who, you know, 
and gals who ski like two or three days a year. So it's, it's pretty much all over the map. Hey everyone, just a quick thank you to our sponsor who helps make the Ready 80 podcast possible, Sideline Swap. Being an outdoorsy person usually means that you buy and accrue a silly amount of gear to support your activities. As time goes by and you get new gear, why not sell your old gear to help cover the cost of that new gear? This is where Sideline Swap comes in. You can post your skis, snowboard, or any outerwear in a couple minutes and make back some of the money that you spent on that gear. Not to mention, if you're trying to get a loved one or friend into skiing or riding, which we all know is expensive, you can find awesome gear on sidelineswap.com for a great deal. Some products are even up to 70% off. For more info, you can head over to sidelineswap.com. Definitely. Okay, so throughout this journey, did you ever have any mentors that really helped you on the business side and then also on sort of the manufacturing and technology piece to the business? Yeah, certainly. Um, I mean, the number one thing is ask for help. And uh, it's, yeah, we wouldn't be here without the just countless, countless, countless folks who have given their time freely to you know, give advice or even you know, get their hands dirty in, in the business or whatnot. So, yeah, a number of people. Um, you know, most notably, I think Jason Leventhal from, from line slash J skis, um, nothing but hats off to that guy and everything he's accomplished. Um, I know we're now wouldn't be here without, without his help. Um, and, uh, a bunch of others, uh, in mostly well, in and out of the ski industry, actually, who have, uh, given advice, just business advice along the way. So yeah, you can never have too much advice. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, so what has the growth been like since 2011 to now? Like, has yeah. it been a pretty steady increase, or were there certain moments where it just really exploded over time? Yeah, we. Uh, I mean, that initially we were <clears throat> 2011. I mean, we built like basically 2011 to 2014. We made a total of, like 30 skis, you know, because we were all in the shops building like one-offs, like product, basic prototyping, ski after ski after ski, and then 2014 we locked into design and we launched the first product, the, uh, the endurance, which is what, when is spoke gold, which really launched things off. So I guess the first couple of years really didn't kind of count in terms of volume or, or sales because we didn't sell anything. Um, but since we launched officially in 2014, 15, um, yeah, we've basically doubled every single year. Um, which is, you know, it's one thing to say doubling and obviously we're a smaller company, so it's not these huge numbers, but it's definitely getting to the point where, things are getting really, really fun and really, really interesting if we keep up this trajectory. So That's I'm excited. Yeah. So what's been the hardest part about starting and building right now? Well, I'll tell you this. Our first ski is called the endurance for a reason. It's just a long haul, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's at the end of the day. And we, we, I mean, the, so the ski is actually named after Shackleton and his crew, um, which is a, if you guys like, you know, any listeners look it up. It's a pretty wild adventure. Um, but the reality is this is like, I've seen, I've already been handed the keys to two different ski companies um, and asked us to keep it going. Uh, and then a few others I've seen go out of business um, just because it's not sustainable. So um, the reality is this is like, if you to win, whatever winning is in the ski world, it just means to, to, to not quit. Um, so the hardest thing has just been like holding on to it because, 
no one's in the ski world to make money. You know, the joke is you get in the ski industry to ski more and you get out of the ski industry to ski more. Cause like you don't ski either. You know, like I've, you have a, I've skied except for this year, every other year I've skied less than I ever had before. Cause you're just working the whole time. Um, but it's just a matter of endurance, like just perseverance. Like the, I think the official term is grit. Um, and, uh, if you got that, uh, then that's, I think that's the biggest key. What's one of your greatest fears in regards to renown and how do you manage that? My greatest fear is that we will just slowly grow, not grow enough to make it worth it to, or we could make a big impact, but not decrease enough that we die and that we kind of just exist. To me, that just sounds like maddening, um, useless. (laughs) Yeah. Limbo. And like, even if we grow a little bit, that's one thing, but you know, I'm basically, I run renown, like we're either going to double every year or we're going to have a business every year. And, um, so far I've been lucky and we keep doubling. Um, but I'm not really here to just sit around and slowly grow. Um, so it's, uh, I'm pushing this thing as fast and as far as we can. And so, yeah, my greatest fear is if this thing just turns into this, like, yeah, slow burn, basically that just sounds like, uh, not very much fun. So where do you want renown to be? Like what in the next year, five years, 10 years down the road? Well, we're, you know, we're, we always say we're not building skis. We're developing the next generation of ski technology. Um, we, you know, we have so many patents behind this idea behind HGT that we have now and other ideas coming down the road. Um, you know, we, um, how do I say this? Yeah, we're, hmm, try to think how to say this without being uh, too basically without being too cocky about it but, <laughs> no worries yeah take your time yeah, we, yeah. no we i mean we see renown being a uh eminent brand in the future uh for a number of different reasons uh, but most notably because of the innovation in the, the technology that we can bring to market awesome so okay so obviously the trajectory over the last eight plus years um you've come a long way from developing your first ski to really developing a technology behind it now growing and having a substantial business behind you. Um, what were some of the biggest takeaways that uh, you've learned over that time? Um, hmm. Biggest takeaways. Yeah, I think I saw our biggest takeaways is just like you know, patience. Um, there's a difference between reality and expectations. And you have to manage that. Um, never be afraid to ask for help. And uh, it always takes longer than you think. Um, you know, to say like we're, we're not renounced at now, even though we're, you know, really good shape. I would have thought we were, would have been here four or five years ago. Um, you know, it's been, it's been way, way harder than I ever thought to, to grow the business. Um, and there's been, you know, much deeper lows than I ever thought. And there's much higher highs than I ever thought. So it's kind of just managing, managing all that and kind of sticking through till the end. Why do you think it took longer than you were expecting? Um, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons like the ski industry is notoriously slow, you know, it, it works in cycle, some cycles to all the seasons. So you're kind of tied to mother nature. You can't really cheat that at the end of the day. There's only Christmas only comes once a year. The first snowfall only comes once a year. You know, there's only one spring. There's only one, you know, Martin Luther King weekend. Um, so it all, it just takes time because it's the ski industry. And also the, the reality is this is like, 
most ski companies and ski brands that you know of are constantly getting influxes of investor cash. So, you know, Rosno was at a business four years ago. No one knew that. You know, KT was on the, the market for 18 months, an iconic brand was on the market for 18 months because they lost money for so many years in a row. And um, when they got bought, you know, the, the new company, you know, inf- and puts a bunch of cash into it. And that happens time and time and time and time again for every brand that you, every brand that you see on the shelf, that's what's happening is that someone um, raised millions of dollars and is trying to grow that brand. So essentially when you're not raising millions of dollars and you're bootstrapping, then you're essentially competing against a bunch of investor, private equity cash going to these other brands, um, which in, you know, it's, it stinks for them because it's not sustainable. Um, you know, I've talked, <laughs> I've talked to multiple companies who have their projections, you know, increasing year after year after year with less and less, and less investment with it. And to the point where <laughs> like the, the growth trajectory is just so unrealistic. It's not even funny, um, for these guys. So you're basically competing against just, you know, a lot of every single brand out there having, um, investors who are throwing, you know, half a million, million or $10 million behind it. Um, so it makes it for a, a pretty good uphill battle in that sense when you're not, but I think ultimately, and this is why I think I should probably answer your question the other way, uh, the previous question, but this is why like renown, I think it's going to be like the endurance is why we're going to win in the end. Cause you know, renown's ultimate goal and, um, it doesn't necessarily be this brand, but like we always tell people, like they always, people always ask us like, what's the ultimate goal with renown? And like, you know, do you want to get bought out? Is K2 going to buy you? And I'm like, no, man, we're going to buy K2. And, uh, and I'm honest about that, like the sense that we're not here to go get bought up by Rosnall or K2 or Salm or something like that. Like We want to be that eminent brand out there that competes and, in my opinion, will beat those guys out there to the point where purchasing and buying one of those companies would be an actual option for us down the road. So it's a much bigger plan than just, you know, sell, you know building, building a company just so you can sell it. Right. No, it's so, so true. Instead of just worried about the bottom line or growing as quickly as possible, it's real sustained growth that has long lasting potential. You know what I mean? Right. We're like you were yeah. saying, we're like, as soon as that uh, influx of cash is burnt up, the sales plummet, right? right. Where with the way you're building the business, it's, it's more legitimate because it's growing organically mm-hmm. without a huge influx of cash like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've, I mean, people always ask me, like, oh, are you going to raise more money? I'm like, no, I'm terrified of raising money. It scares the shit out of me. Yeah, same. Um, I, I, I because, feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because the second that happens is like you, you get on this treadmill that, especially in the ski world, it's just you can never turn it off. You know, you, you constantly have to be raising more money, constantly have to try to sell something. And it's just really, it's just not, <laughs> at the end of the day, you have to start cutting prices, right? And that's not about innovation. That's not about pushing the design envelope. It's about, you know, making an extra couple bucks in a pair of skis. And uh, it's just, you know, skiing is too much fun just to try to save a buck or two. You know, you wanna have, we want to try to build the best skis for people out there. And, and you, in order to do that, you, you can't just be constantly trying to figure out how to pinch pennies. That's a very good point. And that actually leads me to another question. Your skis are obviously not cheap, right? Like the, <laughs> no. um, you know, you have models that sell for $1,500. Um, what has it been like um, selling direct to consumer at such a high price point? Yeah, I think good question. Um, 
it's uh, it's been a little different than we originally thought. But the reality is, this is like people are just so used to it by now. Like Amazon is so prevalent in people's lives, and like you can buy a Tesla online, you know. So it's actually been, you know, I think if we had started five years prior, we would have been had a hard time with it. But people are basically educated enough to know how to, and they trust uh, online purchases. They know how to do it, and they trust them. So. Um, it's a little more difficult because the folks that tend to buy our skis are in the demographic where they're used to demoing a ski before they're buying it. Um, so that's why we had a few, like, you know, we have, that's why we have the, the return policy that's just pretty open-ended. Um, and it seems to, to work pretty well. Did you introduce that pretty quickly on, or was that something you figured out after a while? Yeah, we actually stole the idea from this company called Casper. And if you don't know Casper, yeah, Casper, yeah. Casper sells uh, mattresses of all things. And the reality is this is like a mattress and a pair of skis are similar price point. They're kind of one of those things that if you don't like it, you, like what do you do with it? You know? Um, and so they had this hundred day guarantee uh, that I was like, that's a good idea. And when, as soon as we implemented that, our sales just like skyrocketed. And then as soon as we cut, um, we, we implemented that and then we cut demos, then it just went off like went crazy because the reality is people are trained to demo and if you don't give them the option but you give them this alternative of hey try this pair of skis if you don't love it you know go ski it well for for a whole week you know then send it back um we'll take it so uh it was a pretty uh pretty cool thing to see yeah it's funny it's like once you do it you're just sort of like duh <laughs> like yeah why didn't yeah, we people, do that from the beginning <laughs> yeah and i thought i just gotta i just gotta uh a uh, note from a, a shop out in, in Colorado and um, they were asking to, to carry some skis. I'm like, no, dude, we can't like, even though we, they would give us some money for them, you know, it's just like, we know we can't, we don't want to do demos. Um, you know, we've had shops actually buy skis for like, you know, get for like 10 pairs of skis full price um, because they want to have a demo fleet, but we won't sell. Um, we can't stop. We're not going to stop them from buying a full price pair of skis, you know, or 10 of them for that matter. Um, but some folks have actually done that because they know the value of, of the brand and that people, when they see it, they'll, uh, um, they'll, they'll jump for it in the demo line. Oh, so, so it's like an, uh, a, a way to get people into the store buying other things because they're coming there to demo those skis specifically, right? Right. Yeah. Oh, and it's funny. Yeah. It's funny. Cause we tell them like, you know, if you guys can do this, like we're not going to stop you. Um, but like, just let, just know that we will not help promote anything. You know, it's a hundred percent of you. It's a, it's a high risk thing. And like, okay, no problem. And they, you know, they go for it. That's so, so funny. Uh, now yeah. I know have a, you have a strong brand. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the best part about running Renown? Uh, well, dude, it's getting really fun. <laughs> it's getting super fun. Um, just cause we're starting to flexibility. Like we're growing to the point where, you know, next year we'll probably have to hire somebody else. Um, and then like, you know, my job in the winter times just becomes like a fair, not tons of travel, a little bit of travel, get a ski, get to like hang with people and, you know, get to hang with people in the industry who, and everybody here is here because they love it. So, you know, you don't, you very rarely meet somebody who does not love their job. So you get to hang with really, really like smart people who love their jobs, who are in it for the right reasons. So, um, and then you get to try a bunch of random stuff and you have to get a crazy idea. You know, like we just gave away that Tesla ski to Elon. And that was something that we literally, you know, had the idea three years ago. And for, you know, two years, we um, had the ski and we were trying to find his, his address. We finally found it and shipped it out to him. And, uh, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's like, why not? Let's try it. And then, you know, it takes some time, but it's it's pretty uh, exciting when you get, a, get in touch with a guy like that and uh, give him a pair of skis. For the listeners who might not be aware of what you did, could you explain um, uh, what you guys did? <laughs> Yeah, sure. So we, we built a pair of skis um, 
with a graphic that had the te- was in Tesla red and just put the Tesla logo on it. And um, underfoot, we just, it was a note to Elon Musk that just said, you know, for Elon Musk, like the man that's basically breaking all the rules. Uh, and we, so yeah, we built one pair uh, and that's it. They're not for sale at all. And we basically just sat on them until we found somebody who knew Elon personally and was able to get us in touch with him. So we just, we're just shipping out them out to him now, um, which is, you know, we're pretty stoked on it. That's pretty awesome. Definitely so, goes up on there on the bucket list of items that are just pretty cool. <laughs> you know, that would never have happened if you didn't start Renown. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm so excited to see what you guys do um, in the future um, with all the different skis. Like, I think the, the Citadel is probably the coolest ski that you guys have introduced just because of the um, dimensions and weight of it. Um, mm-hmm. which I know you've been kind of working on for a while. Um, I think it's kind of pretty, uh, I'm really excited to get on it when we're up in Vermont and see, you know, how, how it, how it performs. Um, but I'm, I'm really excited to see all the different things that you guys have in the future coming out with, um, you know, skiing specifically and anything else you guys work on. Um, but with that, do you have any sort of, uh, um, ending notes for the listeners? Um, yeah, not really. Just, uh, it's been a, all over ride and we're psyched uh psyched to be here making skis awesome well with that i appreciate you taking the time coming on the podcast and sharing the whole story Anytime. if you enjoyed today's podcast episode then we would be incredibly appreciative if you could log on to itunes and leave us a quick review this really helps us get noticed by other podcast listeners like yourself and if you know anyone that would benefit from this episode, then please share it along. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Ready Eddy Podcast. We'll catch you guys next week.